Welcome to another episode of the Never Too Late to Start podcast, the show that highlights stories of people everywhere who prove that it's never too late to get started on a new path towards success. I'm your host, Joseph Sprung, and today we have a guest you may recognize from her time on Lucky Star, Unfinished Business, and the Canadian movie Girls, Isabel Fox. Isabel, you are literally a star. Thank you for joining us today. You have an impressive filmography. You've been in the industry since you were young, but you didn't stop there. You went on to work with Mending Kids in 2011 as a non-medical volunteer to document surgeons delivering free surgical care to orphans and undeserved kids. By 2019, you became executive director, managing the organization, fundraising, overseeing programs, recruiting surgeons, and working with local governments and all the logistics involved with the delivery of global health care. This was quite the shift from film, and we can't wait to hear all about it. Let's start with your career in film. I think some of our listeners would say you were lucky to get into the industry when you were young, and you were cast on your first audition. What did you love about acting? Well, thank you for having me on the show, first of all. And um, second of all, when I hear you say all this stuff, I go, oh my gosh. But um, what did I love about acting? It's what I still love about what I do every day. I think acting afforded me the opportunity to sort of explore my personality, my instincts, uh, my morality, all sorts of, you know, uh, a whole range of emotions that... I was able to tap into to be able to tell a story. I had no background in acting, so no, you know, I didn't study to be an actor. I, I fell into it accidentally, and I was lucky enough to have um, positive and very supportive experiences working with some amazing directors um, internationally. And um, I think that, I, I, I like to say that even though I stopped acting in the 90s, I took all my acting with me when I stepped in to the role of uh, mission coordinator and then executive director of Mending Kids. Not because I'm faking it or anything, it's just like you meet all these personalities and these different cultures and you again have to rely on, you know, uh, all your social experiences to, to present a, um, you know, to just present and be able to lead in a way that's going to be accepted, you know, across cultures. Okay. Aside from your incredible success on screen, you've had some great directing experience as well. When did you realize you wanted to start directing? Well, I think I realized probably on the second movie, on the Lucky Star movie, I realized that I was fascinated about the editing process. And I would literally go to high school in the afternoon and after school, I would take the bus, this was in Montreal, and I would go to the editing suite, and uh, the editor would just let me sit there and watch him cut the movie. Everything, I could watch everything but the scenes that I was in. And um, that was my first, you know, that was the first time I kind of had a sense that I really loved the, the, the mechanics and uh, of, of filmmaking. And also, when I was on the Bay Boy with Dan Petrie and we were in Nova Scotia, I had this tendency, even though Kiefer Sutherland was on the set, I had the tendency to be hanging out with the grips and watching the cinematographer, uh, you know, work with his crew. And they usually have to go find me on the tech side somewhere because that's where I was asking questions and 
um, again, I felt more comfortable behind the screen. Um, it was like it was an accidental career that I really, really, um, I mean, I loved it. I valued it. But I really loved sort of traveling. And so I tended to ask where the movie was shooting, not necessarily what the movie was about. So it was it was a complex, not necessarily, uh, the, you know, the smartest career path. But it what came out of it was I loved the all aspects of storytelling and putting the story together and the craft of it all. So that was sort of my, it, it naturally guided me behind the camera. What made you step away from the film industry and get involved in philanthropy? Uh, complex. Well, stepping away from the film industry, acting came first after my mom died and I was with her when she passed away. There was something about, you know, holding her hand as she crossed over that was so profound for me I applied it to myself I was like I could never ever ever act this out somehow and I felt some kind of just a wall came up and that's when I moved behind the camera because it was just too it was too much and I think I in some reason aspects I had been acting for her because she loved it so much that I was doing it and then um philanthropy came out of divorce honestly I mean I was already involved with my my children with schools and the PTA and if somebody asked me to help with the cause I was usually there um you know doing fundraisers and things like that to help and I was invited to a a, a lunch for mending kids and I found out at that luncheon that you know a non-medical person could buy their trip buy a trip and travel with a real life, you know, surgical team going off somewhere in the world to deliver global health to underserved kids. And because I have two daughters that are uh, adopted from China, uh, one of the destinations they were talking about at this lunch was uh, we have a team going to Luoyang, China to work on children that are unadoptable and they're going to operate and make them quote unquote adoptable so that they can find forever homes. And that, in that instant, my, it was like a spark went off. I wasn't thinking, I instinctively raised my hand. It was a live auction. And I just kept my hand off until I got the trip. And I, uh, it turned out faithfully that it actually left on my birthday, six months. So it's coming up on 12 years that I've been involved. So faithfully on, technically, I left on November 3rd. And I landed uh, after my birthday, so I never turned 50. That's like what I like to might tell myself. But um, I, I thought you were uh, just going to be 50. I just had lunch with you a few weeks ago. I thought you were going to be 50 now. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I, I'm like the new, uh, the new something. <laughs> okay. I, I, I certainly don't feel my age. I, I, think, I think Mending Kids has kept you looking great, young and, young and great. Yes, there's nothing like a developing world hotel to keep you exfoliated. Okay. You helped navigate the challenges of the pandemic by distributing PPP and, uh, and using technology to have surgeons stay connected to their mentees. What was it like being between the front lines of the pandemic and the international borders that brought this much needed medical care to children? So it was, um, well, we, we actually... Uh, funnily enough, not funnily enough, but we actually had a heads up of what was going on 
before it was on CNN because we had I, one of our employees is actually originally from Wuhan. And so at the beginning of January, we sent uh, PPP to her family in China because they were uh, on lockdown and the world wasn't really talking about it then. And so we knew that something was coming. I mean, we didn't know that it was actually crossing the borders the way it did, but we knew something was up. And so we were able to um, almost prepare a little bit better knowing that international travel was going to shut down with our board we were able to take all the supplies that we had allocated to go out on missions that we knew were no longer going to happen at least not for the time being and we uh, worked with the Department of Health Services Los Angeles and we were one of the first nonprofits to be able to you know give them some of the supplies that they were looking for and needing uh, because they were setting up camp for the homeless um, because they didn't know what the impact yet was going to be. So they had created a camp in case they needed to isolate homeless people who might come down with the disease. And, um, and then after that, I realized that the relationships that I had with some of the medical nonprofits and other companies that have given us supplies, um, that instead of asking them so that we could take them abroad, I said, would you consider donating them to us so that we can get them to smaller nonprofits and other groups that need it immediately. I mean, I had, I'm, I'm not kidding, I, and I won't name them by name, but I had doctors from Cedar sinai coming to my front door to get N95 masks at the beginning of the that's pandemic. A, that's amazing. The, the, the impact that you can have uh, globally uh, from, from your uh, organization is uh, a tremendous uh, testament to your stick-to-itiveness. Uh, and pandemic didn't just change the direction of mending kids. You also became the guardian to the daughter of a family friend who passed away. This is a huge life change. How did you navigate this? That was happening again at the beginning of the pandemic. I, first of all, I, I knew her, you know, as a baby, and she was from my my daughter's original adoption group, so we had a connection. And when I found out, I mean, my heart sank because. I was sorry for the loss of my friend. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm a single mom. How am I going to do this? And so the first thing I did was call my ex-husband to tell him that what was going on. And everybody was nervous because we didn't know what we were going to, you know, quote unquote, inherit. And, but my son was the first one to say, mom, you run a nonprofit that saves kids. Are you really going to hesitate? <laughs> and I was like, no. And then it just became about, um, you know, I moved so that I could be in two places at once because they go to different schools. And then I did some work on lining up, uh, you know, support for therapy and, um, and calling on some friends that became sort of my, my uh, de facto new family for support. And um, it's been a bit of a joy ride. I think things famously are stabilizing and I, you know, and she's, she's with us you know forever so um and i would do it again okay, well, because i i don't know how to not do stuff like that but how has the growing family affected your life at this stage uh well the blessings of the pandemic are that when we shut down the office to work remotely it cut an hour and 20 minute commute to and from work out of my life and I was able to work from home 
And I think if the pandemic hadn't happened, I don't know how I would have brought uh, V into our life. It would have been so much harder. But because I could work from home, it um, it, it made it possible. So it's, it's interesting how the universe lines up to make things manageable. And then otherwise, you know, on a personal level, it's, it's my kids, my pets, okay. <laughs> and my work. Okay. That's about all I can juggle right now. Okay, gotcha. We, we typically have entrepreneurs and people who set onto new career paths on the show. You pivoted and began a new career. What advice do you yeah. have for others who are searching to find their path? Well, you know, passion is everything and purpose is everything for me. So for me, it's not a, it's, 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 yes, I could say it's a career, but it's, it's just a, I don't look at it as work. I look at it as a, an opportunity to exercise my sense of purpose. I would just follow your instincts. I think as, as a woman, uh, often I, I put my instincts to the side and I think your heart and your instincts guide you. I was told that I couldn't do the job because I didn't have the degree in global health and, you know, an MBA in business. And at first I believed them, the, the, the board, this isn't the board that hired me, but a different board. And then I realized, wait, I have life experience and everything that, that, that we live for, everything that we do, every decision that we make on any given day is, is an experience that's going to help shape the way you lead people, the way you're able to make decisions quickly or more methodically. We're a small, versatile nonprofit, and we're in so many different places. We have to be adaptable. To be rigid is not going to be helpful to us. And I think my personality, my acting career, my guerrilla filmmaking, all were peripheral experiences that, that loan themselves to be able to make this change. And it was quite organic. And, you know, um, I've been in the post now three and a half years. So I would say to people that are thinking about making career changes to make sure that you value all you, all that peripheral experience beyond all the other certificates. Let me ask you this question. Uh, since you're so adaptable and able to pivot, uh, give me an example of something that went wrong on one of the missions and you had to pivot and change the direction of what you were doing and how were you able to save the mission and let it accomplish all its goals? Oh, thanks for that curveball. Um, uh, yes. So it actually happened on, on the first mission that I actually led where I went from not being a volunteer, not writing newsletters to actually leading a team from LA. It was a cardiac mission and we went to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And um, it was, I think we had about 19 medical volunteers from both Los Angeles and uh, from India that were all rendezvousing there in Addis Ababa to go do heart surgeries and heart procedures. And all, absolutely, all of our medical supplies got stuck in customs. And we're there for, you know, five days of operations, one day of clinic, and three days on either end. And I had a bunch of doctors and nurses twiddling their thumbs going, we have nothing to do. And I, I was able to, and the hospital kept saying, no, we don't have any supplies. Just go back to customs. We'll, we'll make it work. And so after 24 hours of no no supplies, and then going into 48 hours of no supplies, uh, one of the x-ray techs and I started 
meandering about the hospital and started opening cabinets and drawers and things like that and ended up finding supplies. So we were like, oh, my God, we have an, a heart-lung uh, pack and an oxygenator and we have some um, – some te- I forget what they're called, but they're they're these things to test the blood after a, ho- a heart surgery, and they were like, okay, what's the weight? And we said, oh, it's for a 23 kilo child or 20 to 43 kilo child. So we went back into the clinic, and the doctor selected a, a child that fit that weight, and they said, okay, we can operate on this child. So we started an operation. Then we went into the cath lab, and we found catheters and introducers, and again, we did the same thing. This is for you know a two year old. Uh, that can't weigh more than this weight, who on the list is that, that procedure? And, and then we went and found another child that, you know, they were all there at clinic and we said, okay, we're going to work on this child. And by the time we released supplies, we had been able to scrounge enough supplies to help 12, to, to save the lives of 12 kids. Then we had all the supplies that we had brought and we realized, well, wait a minute, we have all these supplies. We're never going to be able to use them. And so I asked the whole team if they were willing to change their flight. Uh, to stay um, uh, two days more so that we could operate and recover the kids. And everybody unanimously said yes. And so I, uh, <laughs> so I spent, you know, half a day on the phone uh, changing everyone's flight. And then we realized, oh, my God, all the changing flights is going to cost us $10,000, which we didn't have. And so we went on Facebook at the same time and explained what was happening. And to the penny, we're able to raise all the money that we needed to pay for the the flight changes. And so by the time we left uh, Addis Ababa, 10 days later, we had uh, saved the lives of 39 kids. It was to this day still the most productive, uh, prolific cardiac surgical mission that I've ever done. Okay. That's great. Uh, there's something big <laughs> coming. That's a, that's an awesome, you know, that's an amazing story. And it's a, it motivates you that when things go bad, you, you just have to stay calm and you have to think that you have to turn uh, lemons into lemonade and find the best solution and deal with your situation as, as it is and just never give up hope. And that's, uh, you, yeah, it's it, about, you give people a lot of hope. Okay. It, 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 yeah, I guess so. I, it, but here's the thing is if, if I had, sat there and thought about it and really thought about it i might have gone oh that's too bad you know let's not you know but but i think when there's determination there's passion and and obviously there's respect we weren't you know we we didn't like railroad people but it, it was just yeah it's just there's there's always a solution and i think when you're presented with these challenges if you can take a deep breath and realize okay this is a bit of a cluster fairy. Why am I going through this and how can I solve this in the most efficient way? And you can do it calmly and not completely focus on all the disastrous possible things that could happen. <laughs> right? right? So, yeah. Okay. There's something big coming on October 8th. Can you tell us about the fourth annual hike to mend? Oh, so, so one of the things that has, that struck me and touched me in all, I've been on 40, five or 46 missions is we go into the developing world, we go into these hospitals and the kids, where are they coming from? Well, half the time these kids and their parents have walked on foot, like for miles and miles to get to the surgical center on the hope that their child might be selected to get surgery. And about five years ago, a little boy showed up in Tanzania with his aunt. He was orphaned and his aunt was taking care of him. And she literally had hitchhiked all the way across Tanzania to make it to our mission. And usually we pick kids on 
on on a Sunday for surgery. Um, and they showed up on the Thursday and we had another, we only had one more day of surgeries and we had no room in the schedule to operate on him, but we decided again to change our schedule so that he could get the surgery because he's literally hitchhiked across the country to get to us. And that's what inspired the hike. The hike is about, it's an event, it's an outdoor event. And we ask people to walk up to five miles, not 5k. And um, it's basically to honor the journey that parents the world over travel on foot to try to gain access to care. And in the United States, it's the journey of just navigating the, the miles and miles of paperwork of insurance, deniability, eligibility, everything you want to know about that. And so it's a symbolic hike to draw attention to health disparity, promote health equity, and just for our donors to come together in a very sort of informal way to just cheer, you know, cheer mending on, right? That's right. That's great. I mean, there's, yeah, so that's what it's for. If and I, it's, if, I was in um, better, if I was in better shape, if I had better knees, I'd be on that hike. Yeah, I, I the the excuse I have is I have to be at the registration table to welcome everyone, so I don't have to do the hike. Okay. But um, we're hoping to help the, with the money we raise at the hike, and in the next month, we're hoping to to give surgery to forty kids before the end but, of the year. But if you want, I'll send Kristen and Diane to uh, go on the hike. Yeah. yeah, you can always donate not to come. Okay. <laughs> Somebody, I think it was Gary Sandling, gave us money once not to go on a mission. <laughs> We're like, okay, All right. we'll so, go in your name. So I have a question just for fun. Uh, what was your favorite film experience and why? Um, what was my favorite film experience and why? I think my favorite film experience was actually my second film, which was uh, The Lucky Star. And it was... Uh, with Rod Steiger and Louise Fletcher. And I think it was fun because at the time I was completely unimpressed by stars. Like, because I didn't know them. I didn't know who Rod Steiger was. And it was fun to, to, to be able to be, apparently I was completely irrelevant to Rod Steiger, but he loved me for that. And, and it was just, it was just a very fun experience. I don't know how else, to explain it other than I showed up in his Winnebago and uh, while he was getting dressed and we were on a bitter cold set in Holland and I got chewed out by the dresser because I had barged into the star's Winnebago and I went into a diatribe about, you know, it's not fair. Who is this guy anyway? And I'm freezing and I'm not moving. <laughs> and apparently that was enough to impress Mr. Steiger because he, he was, uh, he was he was great to me, and he really did enjoy people like being in awe of him. And he used that for his own benefit, but it didn't work with me. <laughs> okay, Isabel, you've had some incredible life experiences, most of which many of us will never know. And while I may not know what it's like to be an actor, I do know what it's like to want to give back. So I really commend you for listening to that instinct and doing all the great work you do with Mending Kids. Thank you so much for joining us here today and sharing your ever-changing story. Your acceptance to change proves that there really is no limit to the new experiences, no matter your age. Isabel, do you have any final remarks for our listeners before we let you go today? I just, um, first of all, 
Hey, thank you so much for, you know, giving me your time to hear my oh, story and the work that yeah. we do with, with mending kids. And yeah, no, I, I, I invite anybody and everybody to, to step out of their comfort zone and do something, um, you know, that will give back in some fashion because that's the, when you, you give without expectation of return, it's actually, you know, it, it is really gratifying. And, and so for me, this, is, this, this career change, as we put it, has been entirely a selfish, you know, it's, it's completely selfish in that I get, yes, at times frustration, but way more joy okay. on any given day than I could have ever imagined. That's great. Well, there you have it, everyone. Thank you again to Isabel for your time. We look forward to Thanks seeing you so again. Remember, it's never too late to start, and it's never too late for a change. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.